0: Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. And begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well.
1: Maybe a few of you have heard the name Adoniram Judson. Anybody know that name? Adoniram Judson's not a name you forget once you hear it. Um, Adoniram Judson, he was the first overseas missionary sent from America. So, clear back in colonial America, he was the first American. To leave, he set sail in 1812 for Burma to preach the gospel of Christ to natives there. And, and when he set sail, he'd only been married for 12 days. He met his wife, or his future wife, her name was Anne. The first, uh, the, the first time he stood up in front of a congregation and presented himself as a missionary worthy of support, she was in the congregation. And he met Anne, and for some years while he raised support, they you know, had their courtship, and he decided he wanted to marry Anne. And when he asked his future father-in-law to give his blessing for their, for their wedding, for their marriage, he was asking not just, that, could I marry your daughter, will you bless that, but are you okay with me taking her to Burma? What I'm going to read you is a letter, part of the letter that Adoniram Judson wrote his future father-in-law asking for Anne's hand in marriage. This was reported. We read this in uh, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. You can find this online too. Here's what he writes to his future father-in-law. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the climate and diseases of southern India to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and died for you? Can you consent to this for the sake of perishing immortal souls and for the sake of the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen people who have been saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. It's quite a letter. John Piper reports that her father left the decision up to her. She said yes. Anne Judson died of smallpox in Burma 14 years after she set sail, having never seen her family again on earth. What would you have said? if you were that daddy? If you're a parent and you have a daughter, or if you can imagine having one, or you have had one, or you hope to have one, would you rather give your daughter in marriage to someone who radically obeys Jesus, so radically that it controls his decision-making, but he feels called to some place like Burma. Or if you're honest, would you rather give your daughter to a nice, kind, safe, local unbeliever? Or even a nice, safe, local, professing Christian whose life really bears no difference to anyone else that lives here in Southwest Nebraska. Now don't get me wrong. I, I do not mean to pretend to say that only, the only real Christians are one who sign up for overseas ministry or, or a full-time ministry of any kind. I do not mean that at all. But every single one of us who call ourselves Christians are called to a kind of obedience that seems very radical and strange. Where our lives are are more than just doing whatever we want and trying not to be bad. We're called to a kind of obedience where we search for what the Lord wants us to do and then we have the courage to be obedient to it. You know what stops us from living like that? Because deep inside we all know if we live life like that, it will get scary in a hurry. Because God asks us to do things we are uncomfortable doing, that are scary, that make me nervous and make my palms sweat and gives me butterflies in my tummy. But PT Forsyth was correct when he wrote, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Who will my soul's master be? Me? Or him? Today, In the Gospel of Matthew, we see a great picture, a great example of someone who does something incredibly scary out of a sense of radical obedience to the Lord Jesus. We pick up sort of halfway through a story today. Last week, we studied the first part of what Jason read for us. Jesus had sent the disciples out into a sea he knew would be stormy to row against a fierce wind, to get nowhere. It was a scary situation, and he walked out on top of of the stormy sea toward them. And we learned lots of great lessons last week about living life as a disciple when life gets stormy. And I won't rehash those, most of them, this morning. Today, the focus shifts a little bit. Today, the focus shifts... And, and, and this part of the walking on water story is only told by Matthew. Because today, the apostle Peter, or the disciple Peter at this point, he becomes one of only three men in the history of the world to ever walk on water. Did you know there were three? Jesus walked on water, we read that, Peter. And then this guy right here. Faith is a powerful thing, but fear is no slouch either, kids, because he just skipped right across the water there. But today in this, uh, this really famous story where Peter really becomes one of only two men to ever walk on water, here's what we're going to learn. Here's our main idea. We experience God's power most when we obey God in what feels risky. We experience God's power most when we obey Him in what feels risky. We start in verses 28 and 29 this morning. Uh, where we pick up, Jesus is already He's standing out on the uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is a giant lake. Um, In the storm, we left him there last Sunday, we'll get him into the boat today. Uh, And he has just called out to the disciples who are terrified, have courage, do not be afraid, and then he said, our English Bibles say, um, it is I, and I taught through the last week how really what Jesus does is proclaims the Old Testament name of God for himself. I am Jesus do not be afraid because I am the great I am is here and last week one of the lessons was the 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 antidote for fear is not the absence of storms but the presence of God and he's just called you know called that name out and commanded the disciples to not be afraid. And in verses 28 and 29, we see that Peter has caught on to that lesson. He has taken it to heart very quickly. Peter takes a lot of criticism from preachers like me. Uh, Peter's one of those characters in the New Testament that makes us feel good about ourselves because Peter likes to talk before he thinks and he likes to stick his foot in his mouth and he denied Jesus three times and Jesus still liked him. And it makes us feel better about being us because Peter was like Peter. But don't be too hard on Peter. There's a reason. There are reasons that Jesus made Peter the hand-picked leader of this group of disciples that would become the church. And he absolutely was. His name is always listed first when the disciples are listed. He was the first among equals. And he earns his stripes today. I admire the heck out of Peter for what he does in this passage. What he says here today can be misunderstood pretty easily by us in English. So Jesus is standing out here on the waves. He says, do, do not be afraid. Have courage. I am, ego me in the Greek. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, order me to come to you on the water. And that can sound like he's putting Jesus to the test. It can sound like Peter's saying something like this. If you really are who you are claiming to be, and I'm not sure, then you order me to walk on water, you make me walk on water, and then I'll believe that you are who you're claiming to be. Please don't understand this uh, story unfolding like that, because that's a misunderstanding. In the Greek, this is something called a first class conditional statement that Peter makes right here. I'm going to spare you the giant Greek lesson because I gave you a big one last week. But just know this, that means that what Peter is, is saying here, he assumes to be true. So understand this more like this. Peter says, Lord, since it is you, or Lord, if it's you and I'm assuming that you are who you just claim to be, then command me to come out there here's what's happening Jesus just taught you don't have to be afraid if you're with me you don't have to be afraid because I am is with you the great I am is here and Peter quickly puts two and two together and does this all right I get it Lord the best place for me to be is wherever you are but I'm in here and you're out there so if the best place for me to be is with you, then I'd rather be with you even if it's out there on top of a stormy sea. But I want you to notice something else. He So much does not put Jesus to the test. He does not jump out of the boat and try to walk over there and make Jesus save him until he does what? He asks. You command me to come out there and I'll do it. But if it's not what you want me to do, I'll stay right here. Thank you very much. Jesus is, excuse me, Peter is looking for the path of obedience and he has the courage to obey even if that path is very scary. I think peters he's way ahead of where we we give him credit for. I'll, I'll walk out there with you if it's what you want me to do you know the Sea of Galilee's is over 140 feet deep in places? It means you could take our elevator in, drop it in there, and, and never see it again. It's a stormy sea. It's 140 feet deep. He's wearing a tunic. You ever tread water in a tunic? That can't be easy. But he says, if, if that's where you want me, I'll do it. And this is not taking risk for risk's sake. He asks for the command. And then he obeys when it's given. It's given in verse 29, one word, come. And Peter doesn't say, well, now wait a minute, Lord. Before I step out here, let's talk a few few things here. How's this going to work? No, come. And Peter climbs out of the boat and begins to walk toward Jesus. He looks for the path of obedience. When it is given, he obeys. It's like there was a miracle waiting to happen. But if Peter doesn't look for the path of obedience and if he doesn't have the courage to get out of his boat, he misses out on the amazing thing God wanted to do. We'll never walk on water, at least not in this life. But what incredible things do we miss by refusing to do anything that takes real faith, by refusing to ask, God, what is it that you want me to do and having the courage to do what he lays on our hearts? What do we miss out on? Because we choose what looks like safety or comfort over the radical obedience to the Lordship of Jesus. I promised last week there were 11 points in these two weeks, and by the way, that was point 7 if you're keeping track. So the first thing we learn, and the main thing, we experience God's power most when we obey Him in what feels risky. Next thing we learn comes in the first part of verse 30, and it's this. We fail in our faith. We fail when, we focus, when our focus turns more on us and more on our circumstances than on our Lord and on obedience to Him. We, we tend to fail more when we focus more on us and our circumstances than we focus on the Lord and obedience. So Peter was doing, he asked for the path of obedience, he obeys, he's doing just fine and then a funny thing happens on the way to Jesus. He sort of takes stock of where he's at, and he begins to ask himself, what the heck am I doing out here? This is crazy. We're told simply, our, some of our English versions insert some more words, but really it just says in the Greek, he saw the strong wind. And we know that he had to see more than that, because you can't see wind. You just see what wind does. So he sees the churning uh, water, he feels spray all over him. and he starts to sink. Now, we've got to ask this question: Why did Peter start to sink? Why did Peter start to sink? It's, real, it's important to get through the right answer to that, because here's what the answer is not. Well, he, his faith waned. When he had faith, he was up here, and when his faith failed, his lack of faith made him sink. I would say no, because Peter's faith that Peter could walk on water is not what made him float in the first place. The power of Jesus Christ made him walk on the water, not the power of his faith. If you don't believe me, go out to Enders after church, and you practice believing as hard as you can, and see how far you make it walking across the lake. Right? The miracle doesn't come based on the, the amount of Peter's faith. The miracle comes by the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, seeing Peter's fear, does an object lesson here. This is an object. Was, was Jesus ever not in control in one second in this whole story? No. He was in control the whole time. He's still there. He made, G- he made Peter walk across the water. He made Peter start to sink. For an object lesson, and here's what it is. Peter, when you take your eyes off of me, when you take your eyes off of me in obedience to me, and you begin to pay more attention to the scary stuff around you, and the depth of the sea, and the fierceness of the storm, and you think that that, you begin to think maybe that's stronger than what I did have my eyes on. That's when failure begins to happen. You see the object lesson there? Hey, Pete. Keep your eyes on me. Keep obeying me. Take your eyes. Take your eyes off of the wind and the waves. Right here, Peter. Success comes from keeping my eyes on Jesus. My part is obedience. His part is whether I sink or swim. <laughs> my part is obedience. You know, it's it's kind of funny, in a second I'll, I'm ahead of myself a little bit, but Jesus asked Peter, why did you doubt? <laughs> yeah, I, can you imagine what Peter wanted his response to be? What, are you serious? Did you see where I was? It's 140 feet deep, wearing a tunic. These aren't swim fins, they're sandals. Hmm. Listen, this should be its own point. Take this one home with you. I think I did sneak it on the screen later if the danger in your life comes from obeying Jesus, you have nothing to fear. If the danger in your life comes from obedience to Jesus, you ultimately have nothing to fear. That's what keeps us from obeying Jesus because we know He will ask us to do scary things. But here's a newsflash for you. Life's going to be scary anyway. This is a scary world. It's a fallen world. It's going to be scary. It just as well be scary for good reasons. It just as well be scary in a way where I get something out of it someday. And if the fear and the danger fear I feel and the danger I face comes from obe- obedience to Jesus Christ, ultimately I have nothing to fear. Now the most comforting lesson comes in the second part of verse 30 through verse 32. And that's, that's where we, we learn that Jesus saves us even from our failures. If you start to do what I've been describing for a couple of weeks and what Jesus has been encouraging his disciples through Jesus' boot camp that we've been in for three weeks now, to start look for the path of obedience, have the courage to be obedient to what the Lord lays on your heart, even if it's scary, you will find yourself in situations where you start to go, kind of there's no going back now, and I could foul this whole thing up. This could end badly. And it could start to go bad, and I won't be able to stop it from going bad. Here's what's comforting here. Jesus doesn't just save us from the storm. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our mess-ups and our failures. Here's how we see this. So Peter's on his way out there. He starts to look at the wind. His, His fear overwhelms his faith. Jesus allows him to sink Starting to sink, Peter cries out, Lord, save me immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. So here's the way this went down. Peter's doing great. He's walking on the water. Begins to take his eyes off Jesus in obedience and think about where he's at and Jesus starts to allow him to sink. His faith wanes. I can't do this. And he's not wrong. Right? He's not wrong. He has no ability, no matter how much he believes in his ability to walk on water, Peter has no ability to walk on water. And so his faith His fear gets the best of him, his faith wanes and he starts to sink and he cries out, Lord, help me. And Jesus says, your faith got small, so have fun drowning, Peter. Is that what it says? No. Jesus didn't give up on Peter when Peter started to think a 140-foot ocean was maybe a little more powerful than his Lord immediately he grabs him. And, and not, Peter would have missed out on something else awesome if he didn't look for the path of obedience and he didn't step out of that boat. Not only would he have missed out on the experience of being the second person in human history to walk on water, but he also would have missed out on the experience of this lesson, that even when I fail, the Lord, if I cry out to the Lord, he will save me. I think think Peter cherished that lesson as much as he cherished the the, the memory of walking on water. Because when they have this conversation, hey, buddy, why did you doubt? Where are they? They're still out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They're outside of the boat. Jesus is standing on top of the water like he's on the pool deck. And he's saving his friend, and they have this little conversation and. If Peter doesn't get out of the boat, he not only misses out on walking on water, he misses out on the reminder that, hey, even if I mess this up, my Lord will not. I can only fall so far and fail so deep. When I'm obedient to him, he'll save me from the storm, and he'll save me from myself, from my own weakness. By the way, notice Jesus calls him, you have little faith, not no faith. Doubt is not the same thing as rejection. It's not the amount of faith you have that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. If I believe in the Lord Jesus, I will be saved. My doubts and fears and all that other stuff, that's how I grow through that stuff. I grow my faith. But I don't get to heaven and Jesus doesn't have a measuring cup. To see how much faith I had. It's who, who did I have faith in? And he'll save us, even from ourselves. Last thing we learn in this, this part here for sure is that the sort of radical obedience to Jesus that I'm describing always leads to the worship of, of Jesus. Verse 33 reads simply, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. So they get in the boat, the, the waves, the wind stops, the sea is calm, and the disciples they begin to worship Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, which is a way of saying you are equal in essence with the Father. Here's another really clear indication that Jesus was God. Jesus was divine. Okay, so when the nice people knock on your door and start to hand you literature and explain to you how He really isn't God, they don't believe the Bible. They are not Christians. Okay, the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments make very clear that no one is to worship anyone or anything that's not Yahweh the God of Israel, right? Don't make an image, don't worship any. Other, don't have any other gods, but me. When they're in that boat and the disciples worship Jesus and Jesus accepts that worship, there are only two possibilities. Either Jesus is violating the law of the God of Israel or Jesus is the God of Israel. And there are not, there's no other possibility. Either he's God or he's breaking the law of God. The disciples have come to the understanding that he is God. In the sermon I'm going to study for this week, and we'll, we'll, you'll hear the sermon in about a month, Peter will make very clear that they believe him to be God, divine. All right, But that's not the main lesson I want you to know this morning. That was extra. The main lesson is this. Obedience to Jesus leads to worship of Jesus. Radical obedience. Obedience where we obey him in what's scary leads to worship of God. Here's why. All right. The disciples have seen Jesus do lots of miracles by this point, right? This is the first time we've ever seen them worship Jesus. Why now? Why this miracle? Why didn't they worship him when he cleansed the leper? Healed the woman with the bleeding issue? Raised a little dead girl? Why this one? Because for the most part, those other miracles helped someone else. <laughs> save someone else. This miracle saved them. They were scared for their lives. He saved Peter, like, physically. If it wasn't for Jesus, it was glug, 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 140 feet down. When we obey in what's scary, and we experience Jesus save us, It always leads to worship. This happens big picture when we understand our salvation, when we get redeemed, when I understand I'm a sinner, when I understand if I stand before God the way I am, I'm in trouble, I need a Savior, and I understand Jesus by accepting the wrath I deserved on the cross... That's what saves me. That leads me to worship Him because He's the only one who saves me. But it's not just that kind of salvation that leads to the worship of Jesus. When I obey, when I look for what God will live my life, but I want to do what you want me to do, and He lays things on my heart, and it's scary, and it makes me nervous and I walk by faith anyway, and I get to that point where either you come through, Lord, or my goose is cooked, or I get started doing something in obedient. I make a mess out of things. One, Either I see experience Him doing things through me I can't do, or I experience Him coming to my aid and saving me, and either way, it draws me closer to Him. It becomes real worship when he works through me and saves me again and again and again. Here's, this is a sneaky little lesson here. It's not sneaky, but it's hidden, about why this radical lifestyle of obedience to Jesus Christ is so important for the Christian. Because if the only thing I'm ever obedient in is stuff that I can do out of my self-discipline and my talent and my abilities, in my heart, guess who I will give the credit me if all I ever do that's obedient is be good in ways I kind of feel good about being good and I really feel superior to other people who don't do these things if that's the only kind of obedience I have that builds pride and self-righteousness because I really don't in my heart of hearts feel like Jesus is saving me I feel like I'm a pretty good dude but when I ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I sort of start walking that plank. And I do stuff that actually takes faith. And Lord, if you don't come through and I can't do this. When he comes through one way or another, that's what draws me closer to the Lord Jesus. That's what brings worship out of my heart. Does that make sense? Radical obedience leads to the worship of Jesus. Every person who calls him or herself a Christian wants to be close to God, wants to feel close to God, right? But to be real honest, we have some wacky ways of trying to feel close to God. Trying to feel close to God does not come like best and most through like weird experiences and getting the music just right and whipping ourselves into a frenzy it doesn't come from weird incantations and chanting it doesn't come from prophets and visions and spiritualistic experience you want to feel close to Jesus get out of the boat do something where that he wants Christians to do that makes you nervous And watch what he will do through a lunk like you where he does something you couldn't have dreamed you could do or he saves you from your own failure of doing it but one way or the other. That radical obedience to Jesus Christ is what brings closeness to Jesus Christ. It has always been that way. I think I summarized some of this stuff We experience God's power most when we obey Him in what feels risky. That happens when we orient our life based on the search for His desires. And we focus more on His desires and our obedience to His desires over our own circumstances or whims or fears or wants. And we do this knowing He'll save us even from our own failures. And always in the back of our mind understanding if the danger we feel comes from the obedience to Him, we have nothing to fear. And all of this will lead to worship and closeness, growing closeness in my relationship to Jesus. What this passage reminded me of when I was studying it, um, our step out of the boat experience, our biggest one, it was when we left our old job teaching and coaching in our old town and our old church and our old friends and we were going to take off for, for seminary and there was this one song. I don't think I've ever shared song lyrics before, like I'm making you a mixtape here or something. But um, there's a song. It's not a popular song. It's by a group called Casting Crowns. It was just a space eater on a CD that they put out. It was called In Me. It was written about this. The first verse was written about Peter stepping out of his boat Uh, people doing things that are scary but obedient. This became the Maxwell family theme song back in the day for, for a time. We about wore this thing out, but I'd be surprised if anybody's ever heard it. It's called In Me. It goes like this. If you ask me to leap out of my boat on the crashing waves, if you ask me to go preach to the lost world that Jesus saves, I'll go, but I can't go alone. Because I know I'm nothing on my own. But the power of Christ in me makes me strong. Because when I'm weak, you make me strong. So we have to make ourselves weak before we feel his strength. When I'm blind, you shine your light on me. Because I'll never get by living on my own ability. How amazing to find... uh, Excuse me, how refreshing to know you don't need me. How amazing to find that you want me. So, I'll stand on your truth and I'll fight with your strength until you bring the victory by the power of Christ in me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for... um, Thank you for this beautiful uh, little lesson of... The Apostle Peter having the the desire to be with you wherever you are and the courage to follow in obedience to your command to come. Lord, like Peter, we have no ability to do anything of any lasting impact. But through the power of Christ in us, you can do amazing things and and this is not about making us walk on water or do miracles this is about us being obedient to you and keeping our eyes on you and and building a life built around what you want instead of that life that just says i'll do whatever i want and try to be good god make us disciples take away our uh, or use our fear Lord to grow us in closeness and in worship of you we love you Lord and be with us while we gather around the table now in Jesus name amen um I left a little part of the passage that Jason read out. Did you notice then? At the very end of this, after that unbelievable experience, we read this. After they'd crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and when the people there recognized Jesus, they sent word into the surrounding area, and they brought all their sick to Jesus and they begged him if they could only touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Here's why I add this on to today's passage. I would just love to go sit with the disciples and watch this. They've just seen Jesus walk on water, and he's pronounced the name of God, and he, they watch Peter walk on the water and get saved. The whole thing they worshiped have been the boat. They get to the other side, and here come these people, and they just want Jesus to do for them what he's been doing. Make me better. Heal my... Just let me touch the edge of your cloak. were the disciples thinking people know who this is. Like we know who this is. If you knew who this was, maybe you'd ask him to heal more than your disease or your ailment or your disability. We've just seen him cross through the storm right on top of it. And here's why I use this for a little communion text today because there was another storm that Jesus walked through. Only he didn't stay on top of the storm. It was the storm of the wrath of God that was aimed at you and aimed at me. And rather than staying above it, he allowed himself to be drowned by it completely submerged under the wrath you deserve for your sin and he died and he rose again because death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't keep him and he got to the other side and he says just come touch the edge of my cloak just a little bit of faith and I'll heal you forever and ever and ever. In some ways, you and I are like those people at Gennesaret. After Jesus has passed through the storm, and he presents himself publicly and says, We come here and be healed. What well, we commemorate at this table is the symbol of the storm that Jesus passed through, not the one on the Sea of Galilee, the one that was the wrath of God aimed at us. And he allowed himself to be drowned in what you and I deserved. I'll pray for the bread as guys come help me uh, pass this out to our church family here. Heavenly Father, Um, It would do us no good to try and be obedient to you if you, Lord Jesus, hadn't taken our place in the storm. If you hadn't crossed through the storm of the wrath of God and been drowned by our sin, we could obey all we wanted and be lost all the more but you stood in our place, you passed through that storm, and now here on the other side, we come to you to heal us, that that becomes effective for us. Thank you for for dying in our place, for being slain by the storm. We love you, Lord, and pray that you would bless our time and communion. In Jesus' name.